are living in perilous times, days of apostasy, great falling away. And I'm glad, thank God, that the blood-washed crowd were headed out. Amen. Some years ago, I picked up the newspaper in Knoxville, Tennessee. A professor at the University of Tennessee made this statement, and, you know, the crazy yarn, the crazier statement you made, that's kind of put in the paper, huh? Yes, sir. But anyhow, he made the statement. He said, the church is on its way out. <laughs> he meant played out, but I'm glad, bless God, we're on our way out of here. Yes, sir. And we're not headed out like he was talking about. We're headed out to a land. That's fair than day. And one bad morning, we're going to see the Lord face to face and shout the victory throughout the ceaseless ages. Nobody to criticize, nobody to stop, nobody to hinder. Nobody, my friends, is going to be there uh, to upset God's people. Praise God, everybody be dressed right. Everybody be talking right, walking right, and spitting white. Amen. Yes, sir. We're going to be right in that land that's fair than day, and we're going to live with God forever and forever. Some days ago, coming to Atlanta, Georgia, just to show you how terrible this world's getting, they had one of these talk programs on, and I was listening to it as I was coming to Atlanta, and uh, they had some law enforcement officers on the program, and they was talking about this doping crowd. And they said that uh, some people have habits as high as uh, $1,000 a day, even more. Why, my soul, uh, people that rob banks can't hardly uh, meet the payments on the dope bill that they have. And it, they went on to tell how that they do anything. And those law enforcement officers made the statement five times that the scum of the earth fools for that stuff. And they went on to prove it. They said uh, just a few weeks back, a woman sitting on the airplane uh, had a little baby in her arms, and she was rocking the little baby. The seat beside her was empty. She laid the baby down in the seat, went to the restroom. And while she was gone to the restroom, a man across the aisle called the airline stewardess and said, there's something wrong with that baby. He said, I've been sitting here observing that baby. And he said, that baby's dead as sure as you're living. That baby's dead. And they got over there and looked, and sure enough, the baby was dead. They didn't uh, uh, question the woman concerning the matter, but they went up to the pilot and told him. He radioed ahead, and the law enforcement officers was there and arrested the woman when the plane landed. And the coroner said that the child had been dead as high as 24 hours. Uh, and listen to this. They had taken the intestines out of that little child, and all the cavity of that little child's body was stuffed full of dope. And that's the way that that woman was carrying that dope and transporting that dope. And they went on to say that they'd kill their mother, they'd kill their children, they'd do anything to transport that dope and, and, and to get to the dope. Well, we're living in that kind of an age that uh, uh, thing is prevailing everywhere you go. Young people gathering on the back roads. I was in uh, at the foot of Mount Mitchell just uh, on Friday night, and I saw these young people, a whole road full of them, way back up in the mountains, uh, and they told me that most of those young people gathered there every Friday night and had this big party and smoked their pot and so on and so forth, and uh, had themselves a big time. Well, we're living in that kind of an age, careless times, days of apostasy, and great falling away. And if there's ever been a time when God's people need an old-fashioned revival, it's in this hour and in this age in which we're living. I tell you, friends, to see folks stirred up under the power of God. There's enough heartaches and enough sorrow and enough valleys uh, without me not taking advantage of the mountaintops. Amen? But I tell you, every now and then I find a mountaintop. Hallelujah. And when I do, I have myself a time. Yes, sir. I've got enough that isn't enough heartaches to go through without taking advantage of the mountaintop experience. Now, 
Uh, I want to talk to you for just a few minutes tonight, and I'll try not to keep you too long, in the book of 1 Kings uh, and chapter 13, and reading in verse 14, and for the sake of time, I'm just going to read this one verse, uh, and then we'll refer to several verses in just a few minutes. 1 Kings uh, chapter 13 and in verse 14, and went after the man of God, and found him sitting under an oak. And he said unto him, Art thou the man of God that came us from Judah? And he said, I am. May we bow our heads in a moment of prayer. Now, Father, as we come to you tonight, we pray in Jesus' precious name that you'd help us uh, to bring the message tonight. Help somebody, God, that may be going back on the Lord. Uh, somebody that's trying to take out. Somebody that's trying to quit on God uh, in these last days. Oh, Lord, we do pray that tonight you'd strip the gift of every child of God, every person that's gathered this way tonight, uh, would have a desire to live for God like they never have. I pray that you'd burn out the sin, the alloys, the dross that's within, and help us all, dear Lord, uh, to find our place in the direct will of God Almighty. Now, Father, we pray that you'd uh, take the message, and Father, uh, get glory from it, and we'll praise you for it in Christ's precious name. Amen and amen. Now, if we look into the text tonight, I want to talk to you for just a little bit on sitting under the oak. You'll find that Jeroboam had made the statement that he was going to put two golden caves out, and he's going to sanction and ordain these golden caves, one in Dan and the other in Bethel. And he said on the 15th day of the month, they was going to have a big party, and it was on the, uh, in the month of November, and so the news went out. Everybody's excited. They're coming in. Jeroboam's going to put these golden caves out, and he makes the statement. But why he's putting them out? He said it's too much for you to go up to Jerusalem to worship. Now you'll find in the Bible Jerusalem, uh, my friends, is a type, a shadow, a picture of the true place of worship. And any time that the devil can succeed in getting you to leave the true place of worship, he's got it made. That's right. Yes, sir. Uh, there's a lot of folks, boy, they go everywhere in the world trying to worship and accept it's the right place. Uh, I tell you, God's got a church for every man. Every man. I mean, God's got a place for every person to worship the Lord. Uh, some people get their church letters, they trot around here and there. Trump Christians, they got their letters in trunks and, and the pile up here and pile up there. And they, uh, they never find the real place where God would have them to worship. So, uh, the devil was succeeding here, and they're going to put two golden caves up, one in Dan and the other in Bethel. Now the time comes, uh, the crowd comes in. Everybody across the kingdom is gathering in. All of a sudden, the crier steps forth, and as he cries out, the crowd becomes silent. Jeroboam steps up to the altar to burn incense upon the altar, and just as he does so, something unusual takes place. Uh, now you'll find in, in chapter 14, or, or rather chapter 13, in verse 1, and behold, there came a man of God out of Judah by the word of God, and the Bible said he cried out against the altar in the word of the Lord. Uh, now here's a God-called man. Aren't you glad that God's got some men that's God-called? Amen. I'm glad they're not mama-called, daddy pool, they're denominational plucked. Uh, yes, sir. I'm glad there's some folks that still stand for God and preach uh, this old black back book and stand for God in these last days. So, here's a God-called man. God's always had a man. God needs a man. Here's an Elijah. God needs a man to take Elijah's place. Uh, here's Elisha. God needs a man. Here's a Jeremiah, an Isaiah, Obadiah, Malachi. All of these preachers say it's God's man. And God has always had a man. And I want to report to you, honey, Praise God, I believe when time shall be no more, there'll be somebody that'll be standing for God when Jesus Christ comes back to this 
earth again. I believe that with all of my heart. I know we got some of these wheeling out, back scratching time, how it beats around the bush, never preaches against anything, never says anything against sin, the devil. I never stands against the devil. I know that. But I'll tell you, friends, I'm glad that God has always had a man somewhere that stands for it. And so here's this man. The Bible said he stepped out. And the boy, I can see his eyes probably was a flame. His lips was quivering. I tell you, go to God, the cross is running out the side of his mouth. And boy, he screamed out. You could hurt him a country mile. And the Bible said as he did so, the altar rent, the ashes flew in every direction. The smoke boiled up. And it made Jeroboam mad. Yes, sir. And it always makes the devil's crowd mad when you call their hand on anything, huh? That's right. If you want to get the, the country stirred up, preach against the crowd. You want to get this countryside stirred up, preach on some modern day sin, something that's happening around the countryside. Boy, you can tie the devil's nerves up for that. Amen. And then so I said, well, you majored on the miners. Well, it's a wide open field, I'll tell you that. Yes, sir. So, if the ashes fall up, Jeroboam got bad, threw his arm out, and said, lay hold on that man. And when he did so, I said, you, my friends, the Bible said his arm dried up and he couldn't get it down. Now, did one of you stupid looking things standing there with his arm dried up and he couldn't get it down? If I'd have come into the church door tonight with my arm sticking out, why, some of you would probably laugh because I always count all the bunch of foolishness and you'd have said, why, look at that bird. What's he trying to pull? But I want to tell you, Jeroboam wasn't pulling no deal, honey. His arm dried up and he couldn't get it down. Now then, notice what happened. He turned to the man of God and he said, Entreat the face of the Lord thy God and pray for me. Now, wait a minute. Let's go back to chapter 12 right quick. And you'll find in verses 25 down to verse 33, the Bible said he ordained the lowest men in the kingdom. In fact, if you look at verse 31, and he made a house a high place and made priests of the lowest of the people which were not the sons of Levi. Now, these were not in order to be priests. The Bible said he got the worst men in the kingdom. Why did he call on that crowd to pray for him? Huh? Why did he call on that bunch of pot-bellied bugle-nosed drunks to pray for him? I'll tell you why. The same reason, my friends, that a bootlegger doesn't call on a bunch of pink and drunks when he's dying. Amen. I'm going to tell you, he turned and he said to the man of God, Entreat the face of the Lord thy God and pray for me. And the Bible said the man of God prayed and something unusual happened. But I'll tell you, that king's arm was made whole. And then he turned to the man of God and he said, Listen, come go home with me. I want to give you something. And boy, that fellow fired up and he said, I wouldn't go home with you if you forgive me up to half your kingdom because it was charged to me by the word of the Lord that I shouldn't eat nor drink nor go back the same way I came. And brother, he hit out of town in another direction. Now, are you listening to me? I want to stab you something right here. He must have been something beside a Baptist. I'll tell you that right now. Because if he was the average Baptist evangelist and preacher I know, he'd have set up headquarters down there. Is that right? Amen. But I'll tell you, he said to this king, you keep your gifts. God told me not to eat. God told me not to drink. And God told me not to go back the way I came. And so he dismissed himself and away he went. Now, hold it a minute. Let me to some old boys down there. They saw all this happening. They went home about milking time. Their old daddy was an old backslidden prophet. He didn't come out that day. So uh, they got to the house about milking time. And uh, they said, Pap, 
said, you ought to have been with us today. said, you know what? Jeroboam got up to burn incense on the altar and said, uh, there's a fellow king screaming out of that crowd. Man, you never heard such preaching in your life. And said, uh, he preached against the altar, gave a sign, something that was going to happen, and said, it happened right then. said, the, the altar was red. The ashes flew up, the smoke boiled out, and said, you know, it made Jeroboam mad. And he threw out his arm and pointed to the land of God and said, lay hold on him. And said, his arm dried up. And the old man said, what happened then? Why, they said, uh, he called on that man of God to pray for him and said he did so. And when he prayed, the king's arm was made whole. And uh, then the old fellow was really excited. He said, what happened then? Why, he said, he tried to give him a gift. He wouldn't take it. Said, God told him not to come back the way, uh, go back the way he'd come in. And God told him not to eat the drink. And said he went out of town in another direction. And the old man says this in the Bible, what way went he? In other words, which way did he go? And they said he went a certain direction. And he said, go saddle up the ass. I'm going after that man of God. Now let's go back to chapter 14, or 13, right quick in verse 14. Uh, chapter 13 and verse 14, notice what it says. And went after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak. And he said unto him, art thou the man of God that came us from Judah? And he said, I am. Now notice this old fellow goes after the man of God and he finds him. And uh, he asked him, are you the man of God? And neighbor, he was not ashamed of who he was. Amen. He wasn't ashamed of his calling. Now, you know, Brother Harold, uh, some years ago when I was uh, just starting out preaching, uh, they put out these old uh, uh, films on Elmer Gentry. That's right. And they put out other uh, films on uh, preachers trying to make out like every old-fashioned fundamental preacher was some kind of a crook uh, that get up and preach hellfire and uh, uh, take the money from the people and swindle the people and then run with every crooked woman in the country and all such as that. And they tried to make out like every fundamental preacher was that kind of a character. It got so and I'd go somewhere, I almost got ashamed to tell people that as a preacher because uh, of those filthy movies uh, that they're putting out. In fact, the Hollywood crowd, when they want to portray a, a preacher, what they call a real preacher, it's always some bird with a collar on backwards uh, and some robe on. That's the way they, they put it out. And then if they want to portray a crooked preacher, why, well, they'll just dress him up in a suit of clothes. Uh, and so I, I get to the place I was almost ashamed to tell people that I was a preacher. Why? Because of that uh, publicity and all that had been put out. Well, one day I made up my mind. They, there's always been crooks. Uh, there's always been people uh, uh, that's disobedient to the Word of God. There's always been somebody, my friends, that was doing wrong. But by God, there's still a few uh, that's been born uh, into the family of God, washed in the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And there's still some uh, that takes a direct stand uh, by our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and so, my friends, this man was not ashamed of his calling. Uh, I'm reminded when old Daniel walked in and Belshazzar said, are you Daniel? He said, I am. Amen. What a shame of his calling. I tell you, God, my friends, means for us to take a stand. That's right. Every preacher ought to be thankful to God that he's called to preach. I'd rather be a gospel preacher than President of the United States. Amen. I'd rather be a gospel preacher than to be the biggest senator in the country. Amen. I'd rather be a gospel preacher in all due respect to every profession than any lawyer in this city or this countryside. I'd rather be a gospel preacher than to be any doctor in the country, brother. Amen. I'm glad that one day God in grace and mercy uh, touched my soul, uh, redeemed me, and I God called 
me. They're going to the highways and hedges and tell the gospel story of our blessed Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this man, my friends, was not ashamed of his calling. He said, I am. Now notice what happened. The Bible says in verse 15, Then he said unto him, Come home with me and eat bread. What happened? He gets an invite, my friends, uh, to go further back on God. You say, what do you mean further back? Because he's already started back. You see, this prophet found the man of God sitting uh, under that oak tree. Now, neighbor, the devil's always got something enticing to draw you astray. Do you believe that? The devil's always got something to draw every person astray. He certainly has. What's any more enticing than a nice shade tree on a hot day? Hmm? Man, that's, that's terrific. Yes, sir. I mean, the gentle breeze is blowing. Have you a big bucket of lemonade? Sit down under a big oak tree somewhere. What would be any nicer than that, huh? Here's a tree. It's an enticing thing. That big tree provides uh, protection for the birds. Uh, it provides protection for the beasts of the fields. Uh, it provides uh, uh, shade for the traveler. It provides fruit. Uh, why, there's nothing any greater in our mountains right now than the white oak tree. That's right. It makes uh, the acorns every year for the uh, for the animals to feed on. In fact, after frost hits a white oak acre, you can make bread out of it. You can eat it. The, the Indians used to make acorn bread out of white oak acorns. Uh, years ago, the mountains were blessed uh, uh, with uh, uh, chestnuts, but they died back in the late uh, uh, 20s and early 30s. All the chestnuts in the mountains died out, and they're coming back, though. They really are. They've grown up so high, maybe 25 or 30 feet high. God in the Bible said that the roots of a tree never die. Amen. Isn't that wonderful? So they keep coming back, and maybe one of these days they'll outgrow what's uh, killing them. Amen. But anyhow, uh, a tree's an enticing thing. Uh, and the devil's always got something to entice you and to draw you safe. Let me give you a simple illustration. I was walking down the street in Tampa, Florida some years ago, and uh, it was a bitterly hot day. Boy, I mean, that Florida sun was beating down. And all of a sudden, I smelled something. I looked a half a block down the street. Here's a saloon keeper sprinkling the sidewalk with wine and whiskey and beer. And then he's sweeping the sidewalk off. Man, he's putting out bait for every drunken town. That's right. All of a sudden, I, I, I smelt that stuff. Uh, yes, sir. And about that time, the devil began to walk along with me. And listen to what old Slewfoot said. He said, it's hot, isn't it? <laughs> well, it was. So I had to agree with him. Yes, it's hot. And then he said, uh, you're a long ways from home, aren't you? Well, I was. So I had to agree with him again. That's two times I done said yes and agreed with the buzzard. And three times you're out. Is that right? Huh? And then all of a sudden, old Trooper said, one wouldn't hurt anybody. Why, he knew if I to drink one, I'd drink a car load, and it'd take a car to load me up home out. Amen? Yes, sir. That devil is good. He knows how to entice you and to draw you astray, and he's always got his bait out. He's always trying to lure and to draw. Yes, he is. And so, my friends, notice here now, uh, the Bible said, uh, uh, this old prophet said to this man of God, he said, come home with me and eat bread. Now, what happened in verses 16, 17, and 18? Well, or rather, 16, 17, this man cranks up and boy, he preaches this sermon. He said, it was charged to me by the word of the Lord. I shouldn't eat the drink to go back the way I came. And he preached this sermon. Well, wait a minute. Look up here. Look here at me. I'll tell you something tonight. Friend, I want you to hear me and hear me well tonight. Listen to me. Anytime that, you're, that you've gone back on God, your little sermons and your little quotations and all what you believe don't mean a hell of beans, my friend. And it never rains true when you've gone back on God. And I want to tell you, his sermon was preached, but it had no power and no 
effect. Now what happened? In verse 18, the old prophet begins to speak, and he said unto him, I'm a prophet also as thou art. And the angel spake unto me with the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with thee into thine house that he eat bread and drink water. But look what it said. But he lied unto him. Now that means me to say tonight, there is such things as, as such thing as a lying preacher, huh? Yes, sir. I tell you, I used to think when I first started that preaching, everything that had a Bible on its arm was called a God. Boy, I got fooled in a hurry. Yes, sir. I found out some of the biggest thugs I'd ever met in my life could tote a Bible around and sit on a church pew and grin like a gentleman on a bear patch and beat you out every dime you had, huh? Take him in right there. Yes, sir. I had soon found out that when everything had a Bible under its arm that was called of God to preach. such things as a line preacher. That's right. A man tells you got to get baptized, go to heaven. He's a barefooted boy in love. That's what he is. That's not this knowledge get baptized to go to heaven. I want to tell you the moment I came to Calvary, Calvary, Tell you in obedience to the command of my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and to follow Christ in scriptural baptism. But that's not a prerequisite in going to heaven. Thank God you must be born again. Is that right? And so here we find there's lying preachers. Uh, that's right. There's a lot of them go to uh, folks run across the waters and kiss the folks big toe, uh, trying to stout a hell. Uh, and brother, they confess their sins through a knot hole. The Latin speaking, world wine, bead cap priest uh, that they call father and the bird ain't even mad uh, and dressed like mama on top of it. Amen. Yes, sir. I'll tell you right now, there's folks uh, are entangled in all kinds of religion of every kind. Some years ago, my great-grandmother went to the state of Texas. She got involved in this Christian science doctrine. And I want to tell you right now, you talk about being messed up on a doctrine, brother. She was. She came back. She spread all that junk all across the country. Only verse of scripture I ever remember learning as a child was uh, Ezekiel 16.6. Now, if you knew, how many of you know that verse? Just right offhand. Anybody know that verse? Well, they taught us. Well, the Christian scientists, my grandma taught us that if you'd quote that verse when people was bleeding, it'd stop them from bleeding. And I, that's all the verse I knew. And to be honest with you, I've known that verse ever since I was just a boy and didn't even know what it meant. About 15 years ago, I got to look at that thing, studying it out. Boy, I mean, there's a real message there concerning uh, that verse of Scripture and so on and so forth. But I didn't even know what it was talking about. It says, And when I passed by thee, and saw thee fruit in thy blood, I said unto thee, When I was in thy blood live. Yea, I said unto thee, When I was in thy blood live. You know what it's talking about? Does that make sense to you? Well, brother, I'll tell you. As you study the thing, it, it, it reveals something. It's something that's wonderful. But that's the only verse of Scripture I knew. My grandmother came back, spent all that doctrine, Christian science stuff. Why they didn't believe in pain? Uh, no, sir. They, they said uh, there was no such thing as pain. If you think you hurt, you hurt. And if you don't think you hurt, you don't hurt. Amen. One day I had the two things. I was in the army. I'm in a Christian scientist. I soon found out he wasn't either one of them. He wasn't no Christian and he wasn't no scientist. And he told me, he said, there's no such thing as pain. And, uh, and uh, when they had the toothache, uh, and he said, well, it's all in your head. That made me about half mad. I said, you ever hear the toothache anywhere else? Amen. Who ever heard the toothache in the ankle? Who ever heard the toothache in the leg? Well, listen to me. I would take a shower a few times in those two years in the house of the army. I went out one day to take a shower, army style, just a lot of showers. And I had to go through this guy's shower to get into mine. He had the cold water on. I said, Oh, he said, it's all in your head. He said, if you think it's hot, it's hot. If you think it's cold, it's cold. I said, listen, buddy, would you turn that cold water off 
and turn that other fountain on, that other spout. Why, listen, buddy, I might look like I come to tell a load of pumpkins, but I didn't know you, man. I kill hogs all of my life, Tristan. I never since I've been up any size, I just kill hogs. And, and Brother Burns here comes out every year, we kill hogs. Uh, listen to me. I tell you, after I shoot that hog and stick him and every drop of blood runs out of him, then I put him in hot water and it makes every hair on him come off. Uh, I mean, he's dead. You know, it's hot or cold. But cold water don't work. It takes hot water to get the hair over his hide. Amen. Now, next time, you find one of these Christian scientists that said he don't believe in pain. You catch him with his back turned. Get you a good hat pin. What's the bird believes? Amen. Yes, sir. You find out what kind of doctrine he's got in a real hurry, buddy. We'll tell you one thing right now. There's liars. Man tells you you're not safe. Every's a liar. Same man. This is the Baptist church. Amen. I'll tell you right now, brother, listen, the Word of God declares that we pass from death unto life, we become joint heirs, we've got an inheritance that's incorruptible, and the power of faith is not away. in heaven for us. Hallelujah. I'm kept for time and eternity through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So this man lies. I want like, like people to bother me and I'm eating. I'm honest you, don't never fool me and I'm eating. I take my eating seriously. I'm from the old school. I'm from the old school. I believe the women ought to wait on the table. Say amen, you henpecked husband. Thank you. <laughs> Ain't somebody get killed before he gets in the bed tonight. But anyhow, I, I just brought up that way, and, and that's the way it is. And uh, I like to go to the table. I sit down. I will eat. I mean, I want it. I, want, I don't want to be called to the table 25 minutes before it's time to start. I mean, I want to get there and start just as soon as we got the best. I want to go eat. Amen. And uh, anyhow, I'm eating my dinner. Here comes a fellow knocking on the door, disturbed me at my lunch hour. Uh, some people call it lunch. I call it dinner because you must say it. It's dinner. Amen. But anyhow, he knocked on the door and began to tell me about seeing a billy goat with horns and, and toenails, and I never heard such a thing in my life. He said, while he was a pound, it all appeared in the sky. And finally said, what do you think about that? I said, you eat too many soup beans. Amen. Let me tell you something, my friend. If your little visions don't coincide with the Word of God, it don't mean a thing. Huh? And so here's this man. Listen to what he said. But he said, an angel spake unto me. I remember what Paul the Apostle said when he delivered the gospel to him. He said, even when somebody else comes preaching another gospel, or even when an angel comes from heaven, said, let him be a curse. And they tell me in the Greek that means, let him be set to hell. And so here this man said, uh, uh, said I'm a prophet like you are. And an angel spake unto me by the word of the Lord, saying, bring him back within the thine house. Let him eat bread and drink water. But it said he lied unto him. Now what's going to happen? Verse 19, look at verse 19. He's on the verge of being an Isaiah. He's on the verge of being an uh, Jeremiah, uh, an Elijah. So he went back with him and did eat bread in his house and drank water. Brother, he's, he's disobeyed God. God told him not to go back. God told him not to eat and drink. Eating and drinking, that's fellowshipping. Is that right? You better mind who you fellowship with, who you run around with. And so here, my friend, this man uh, goes back and now he's eating and he's drinking. What happened? As they were sitting at the table, all of a sudden that old prophet looked over and he said, Hey, said, you've done wrong. God told you not to come back. God told you not to eat. God told you not to drink. And you've disobeyed him in all points. 
And he said, you will never get back to the sepulchers of your fathers. In other words, you'll die. You'll never get back home. God will kill you just as sure as you're living. Now, I don't know whether you agree with me on this or not, but I believe, I believe this man is really a man of God. And what makes me believe that? Did you know there's nowhere in the scripture that God ever reveals who this man is? Never reveals the first time who this man is. You say, why? I believe God loved this old boy so good that he just left his name out, just dropped it off, and, and just told the story right here in the Word of God. I'll tell you, friends, that leads me to say that God doesn't condone our wrongdoing, but I'm glad he's merciful, I'm glad he's holy, and he'll always do right. Aren't you glad for that? And so here's this man now. Uh, the old prophet said, boys, he said, go in, saddle up the ass for this man of God, and let him ride it. And so he goes out, gets in the saddle, and I can hear him say as he rides off, thanks a lot, preacher. I really enjoyed that good meal and that your wife fixed for us, and boy, I've enjoyed the good fellowship, and you've got some of the best drinking water in this whole country around here, and I appreciate it. And he rides out, even, I suppose, in another direction. As he rides off, brother, there's something happened. Now, here's an unusual thing. Watch this, and I'm through tonight. Something unusual took place. As he rides down the way, all of a sudden a lion comes out of the thicket, and the Bible said the lion destroyed the man of God. Then the knows the thing about a lion knows he doesn't kill, he doesn't kill, I'm talking about under ordinary circumstances, except when he's hungry. And he devours as much flesh as he wants, and then uh, if there's any left, he sits or lays down close by and, and uh, watches the, uh, keeps the buzzards away and the hyenas or what may ever come to devour the rest of the flesh. And then when he's hungry again, he goes back and eats more until it's devoured and all of it's gone. Well, uh, this lion didn't devour this man. Didn't do it. It killed him. It destroyed him. But he did not eat it. And the Bible said the lion was standing on one side. In the road lays the man of God. On the other side stands the ass. Now that's an unusual situation. Here, anybody knows something about the lion? No. Why? This man of God. Why? I'll tell you why. I don't believe the devil can devour one child of God. But I'll tell you what I do believe. I believe a child of God, my friends, can fool around and tackle with holy things. And God will turn you over to the devil. You'll go to hell. No, you didn't read all of 1 Corinthians 5, 5. Turn such a one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now, but I'll read, I'll read the devil can devour one child of God. Now, then here's the hindering part. The devil's always the hindering part. Now, here is the man of God, that which is hindered. And I'll tell you, the world passed by. No doubt they pointed their fingers and they said, he used to preach. He used to take a real stand. He used to pastor. Why, that was a real evangelist. But there he lays, destroyed by the devil. Brother Harold, the other day I was preaching back in January down in, in um, Uly, Florida. And I preached a message, I preached over the country, I preached here one time, I think, going you set your fields on fire. And when I gave the invitation, there's, the, I suppose, 50 or 75 people came to the altar. All of a sudden I looked, and here comes one of the most handsome young men I've ever seen in my life. He had the prettiest blonde, I mean real blonde hair, prettiest blonde hair I've ever seen on any man. And he walked down the aisle, full head of blonde hair, black suit on, he was about six foot four inches tall. His head was crumpled down in his hands, and he was weeping his heart out. He came to the platform, asked the pastor if he could say a word. And the pastor knew him, and he knew the story, and he was glad for the man to speak. And that man looked out at that crowd, and finally when he uh, 
got composed enough, he began to speak. He said, folks, I got saved as a young man, and uh, I longed for the day when I'd find a good Christian girl to marry. And he said, it looked like I found the best one there was in the whole countryside. Then God blessed our home with three of the prettiest little blonde-headed, blue-eyed girls you've ever laid your eyes on. But he said, as time passed, one day down on the job, I got into something I shouldn't have got into. Then he said, it got to getting worse. One thing led to another. Then he said, at last I was spending the weekends in the motel, staying drunk. And then one thing after another, just sin began to pile up. Then he said, Preacher, our home was broken up. My wife took my three little girls away. Then he began to sob his heart out again. Then when he got composed enough to speak again, he said, Listen, he said, I didn't follow one casket. I didn't follow two. I followed three. He said, My wife drowned my three little girls in the bathtub. And he said, Tonight, as I stand here, my little girl's body's in the graveyard. My wife's over here in the penitentiary. And I'm the cause of it all. I'm going to tell you, it's a bad thing to go back on God. They don't tell us what in the world happened. I was at Myrtle, Mississippi years ago, I guess 22 or 3 years ago, in the dining hall, sitting with my back to the kitchen. All of a sudden, somebody threw their arms about my neck, began to sob their heart out. And I didn't know who it was. I got around where I could see. I saw it was an elderly woman. And uh, everybody in the dining hall began to see what was happening. They laid their eating utensils down, began to get quiet. Everybody quit talking. That old woman was sobbing her heart out. Finally, she got composed enough, and she said, You'll have to pardon me, sir, but I've been seeing you coming to this dining hall, and I just couldn't help it. I want you to see something. She reached under an apron, pulled out an eight by ten picture. I thought it was my own picture. I've never seen a, a likeness of myself anymore. I found out it was her oldest son. He was a deacon at Myrtle Baptist Church. He's the one that told me, made a motion to build campsite at Myrtle, Mississippi. And, uh, oh, he was on fire for God. But then one day, my friends, he sat down under the oak tree and got started back. The law enforcement officers coming down the road one Sunday morning, past this beer joint that he'd opened up. The door was standing open. They knew it was supposed to be closed. No, no cars was there. And uh, then they got thinking maybe somebody's broke in. They opened the door. There he was, laying on the floor. Somebody took a thirty-eight special pistol and pumped five bullets into his body. There he was, cold and dead. And that old woman sobbed and said, Preacher, would you go with me to the graveside? I went up there three or four times with Sister Calicut. And she'd stand there and weep her heart out and say, Son, why did you do it? Why in the world did you do it? Why did you go back home, God? Why didn't you serve God? I, I told Brother Percy I was in a meeting down at Enterprise, Mississippi, some two years ago, and he said, well, she never did tell you all of it. Then that boy walked up down the road here in front of the church after he went back on God. He'd get drunk, and he'd come up down the road cussing and hollering, God, I'm not going to preach. You didn't call me to preach. Oh, he just cussing, used all this language, and then all of a sudden he'd say, excuse me, Lord, I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to say all of that. God, I'm sorry, but God, you know I can't preach. And then he'd start all over again and get mad, go to accusing God and cursing God. Let me tell you something, my friend. He said, I'd never do something like that. You go back on God. There's no telling what will happen or what you may do. Just sit down. You've probably heard this here. I've heard it in churches up and down the country. Everywhere you go, comes time to get the officers for the church in the years' time, maybe Sunday school teachers and this and that, and somebody stand up and say, Well, preacher, I've had it so long. I wish you'd let some of the young people take it. You ever heard that? Have you ever heard that stuff? Oh, I've had it so long. You know what that bird's fixing to do? He's fixing to sit down on an oak tree. That's what he's fixing to do. Now, let me tell you something. Praise God. I don't find no quitting place. Amen. Now, I'm a 
That's what Brother Harold Cotter said a while ago. He's going to stay here long as God will leave him here. And how long I think God will leave him here? Let's go till his toes are turned up and Jesus comes again. Amen. Why? There's no place to take out. And there's no place to put on God, my friend. And I'll tell you the time the devil gets you sitting down. He's got you started in a backwards direction. And so here's this man laying on the road, hindered, defeated, destroyed. And here's a, what, what does the ass tell us? It tells us, my friends, uh, here's a way to go, but you can't go when your testimony's ruined. You can't go when you've, when you've, when you've got out here and got into things that's, that's, that's ruined your testimony. Here's a way to go. But he couldn't go. He's dead. He's dead. I came out of Mount Pisgah Church over at Oliver Springs, Tennessee, some 10 years ago, I guess it was. And uh, there's a fellow got in the car, sat down with me, talked a little while. He put his hand over on my leg, kind of patted my leg, and said, said, go on preach. Tell God, tell about God, preach the story. That man was my daddy. But my daddy was pastor of the First Baptist Church at Oliver Springs, Tennessee. Back yonder in the 20s. My daddy got involved in sin. And for all those years, he died about two years ago at 81 years old. All of those years, he sat on the shelf, not used of God. I mean, he finished Carson Human College in flying colors. Made, back in those days, he gave double A's. He made double A in about everything he took, including Latin, German, and Greek. He was the most promising. I've had the, the professors had to tell me that he was the most promising young preacher boy that ever come through that school. He was president of the Ministerial Association on the campus. He's president of the school paper, president of the senior class. Had ever, ever qualification looked like to be a, a fine preacher for God, stand for God. But he got into sin and fell to the wayside. You know, that thing's haunted me, brother pastor, down through the years. That never go back on God. That's the saddest word I ever heard when Paul said to Demas, He hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. I tell you, friends, to think about sitting on the shelf. I told the folks who I preached this morning of the Devil Island Baptist Church out of Burnsville there. Uh, I, I, I just think about, you know, all I got to do is make one little, one little error, one little mistake. That's all. I've been preaching 31 years this past May uh, the 16th. 31 years. All I've got to do is I pull one little deal. It won't be too big. Just one little deal. One little deal. They'll never think about the nights that I spent from home in the motel rooms, and, and they'll never think of the miles that I traveled. They'll never think of all the sermons I ever preached and souls that I won to God and, and uh, uh, people that's preaching out Monday morning. They won't think about that. Never think about that. All they think about that one little deal I pull. And I can come before churches up and down the country, beg their apology, and there'd be a minute of a man that shake my hands and out of the honesty of his heart, say, put your forgive you, and he really would. He really would. But there'd be somebody in that crowd, somebody in that congregation, every time my name was brought up, they'd say, well, he's a pretty good old boy, but you know, back yonder a few years ago, you know, you remember that, don't you, huh? And they'd bring it up. Let me tell you, friends, it's a sad, sad thing to go back on God. And to sit under the oak, and, and my friends to be defeated. All oh, this God needs for us tonight to press on, to look up, and go on for Christ. Lift our heads in prayer, every head bowed, every eye closed. I thought it pressed the Lord to bring us to the message tonight. May it be for somebody. May it be that you're sitting under the oak tonight. It might be that you used to really be on fire for God. You used to sing. You used to preach. You used to have that burning feel and desire to tell this world about Christ. But tonight, you're sitting down, you're under the shade tree, then got your big jug of lemonade, and boy, the devil, uh, he's got a, having a heyday with you. Listen, friend, don't do it tonight. Get up from there. 
strength. God, make your way to an old-fashioned altar and say, Jesus, I'm going to serve you for the day I die. Oh, God, I want to live for you like I've never lived. In these perilous days and days of apostasy, I want to stand for you. Tonight, my friend, is God calling you. How many of you in this building tonight? How many of raise your hand and say, Preacher, you're preaching down my alley tonight. Seems like I've let up. Seems like I'm not what I used to be. Seems like I'm sitting under that oak tonight, enjoying the shade, and boy, I'm having a good time. Preacher, I need to get on the battlefield for Jesus Christ. Would you like to raise that hand for prayer? Anyone in the house thank you over here? Yes, come on, slip it up. Others in back yonder. Yes, and in the balcony. Others tonight. Just slip that hand up. Hold it up for a second that I may see it. Preacher, you preached down my alley tonight. I, I'm sitting under that oak. I want to get out. I want to go all the way for God. I want to burn for Jesus Christ. Anyone else in the house that raised that hand? Thank you, sir. I see that hand. Is there another one? One more tonight. One more tonight. Say, preacher, I'm lifting my hand. I'm under the oak, but I want to get out. I want to get right with God. I want my light to shine for Jesus Christ. I want to burn for God like I never have. You know, I went to the First Baptist Church in Asheville, North Carolina, years ago. And I was in Southern Baptist work, and, and uh, they announced that a little girl was going to speak that afternoon. That it won 500 souls to God. I want to see somebody. I just wanted to look at somebody that had won 500 souls to God. When they introduced that girl, she hobbled on the platform on a pair of crutches. One leg was pulled up under in a brace. And that little thing stood there so frail and meek looking. Tears run down her face, she told, of her love for the Savior. 